What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. Sometimes things are just missed when you're not a part of a certain culture, and that's why it's important to have us in those spaces. Mm. Hello, and welcome to the Miseducate podcast. My name is Sarah Gathugu, host and owner of the Miseducate blog and now podcast. This podcast is here to expand upon prior and future blog posts and is centered around having open and honest conversations about the aspects of life we have been misinformed on. Whether that be relationships, religion, culture, you name it, I'm here to talk about it. Each episode, I will be talking about a different topic and inviting guests to talk about their own experiences of miseducation and what they are doing to re-educate themselves. This podcast aims to make you laugh, think, and inspire conversations for change. None of us have it right. We have all been miseducated. On this episode, I am joined by journalist Leah, who also runs her own platform known as Black Girls Around the World, as we discuss being unapologetically Black in the workplace and the difficulties faced in predominantly white workspaces. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Firstly, this is Leah, a journalist at Evening Standard, but whose work has been featured in The Guardian, Girl Dem, Black Ballad, and many more. Additionally, Leah is the founder of her own platform called Black Girls Around the World, which, as the name says, aims to share the stories and experiences of Black women around the world. So, welcome to the Miss Edgy Hit podcast, Leah. And firstly, how are you? Hi, well, thank you for having me. I, I am doing well. I am by the seaside, you know, taking in the scenery, relaxing, talking to you. So I, I feel great. Thank you for asking. That's great. And as I previously said, you have your own platform, which is how I found you and got to know a bit more about you, which is Black Girls Around the World. So for those listeners that don't know about your platform, could you tell us a little bit more about like Black Girls Around the World and what inspired you to start? black girls around the world 
Well, Black Girls Around the World. Uh, it was a concept that I came up with in late 2019. I just come back from doing a couple work trips abroad in the Caribbean, and I just traveled quite a bit more than I usually would uh, that year. And I was really interested in starting my own project. And there was something about the ability to travel or speak to women from different parts of the world that really interested me. So I kind of developed this concept of Black Girls Around the World with it initially being this concept of me speaking to Black women from different parts of the diaspora, living in various parts of the world about their experiences, dealing with the issues that we collectively deal with as Black women, whether it's kind of like dating or, you know, work, discrimination in, you know, various different fields and things of that nature. And I, I the idea behind it was that as Black women, we have like a universal experience, but they differentiate a lot of the time based on your your location or how you grew up and so many different factors and a lot of the time the conversation around black women is dominated predominantly by african-american women and black british women Mm. and i wanted to provide a platform where we heard voices from the diaspora in various parts of the world and hearing what it's like to be a black woman you know whether you're living in, in russia or if you're living in denmark or if you're living in ghana like wherever it is just to hear your experience and it's now evolved where it's not just interviews with different women from different parts of the world, but it's also speaking to different topics that are interest of us to, you know, of interest to us collectively. So, you know, we have opinion pieces on like different topics and issues uh, that are of interest. So right now we've done one based off of kind of like Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams and the whole kind of issue of black women in sport and the way in which our collective mental health isn't treated as seriously as it is to others Mm. Uh, we have ongoing features and reviews so it's evolved beyond what the even initial idea was but ideally it's basically just a safe space for black women to kind of speak on different issues and kind of discuss and debate really Mm. I love that I love that because it's as you said it is definitely uh, a safe space but it's also kind of like redefining the narrative of what it means to be a black girl and a black woman that we're not a monolith that we have even though we're kind of like rooted in the same kind of like experience of being black and a woman in that intersection we're not monoliths in how we perceive the world around us um so what is it like writing for your own platform in comparison to the various other platforms that you've written for it's initially it was challenging because you are when you're writing for other platforms you have kind of a guideline in terms of what their house style is what you know works you know for me developing my own publication I had to develop my own style guide of things of you know how I want it to be you know how I will style it what the kind of general consensus is with certain pieces you know word count and all these things that are kind of given to you when you're working writing for other publications when you're creating your own thing you've got to kind of create it so Mm. it helps that I've had kind of a few years experience with that that I was able to confidently step into it um and I feel pretty comfortable in terms of you know writing a piece and editing it down and getting it published but the thing is with being a writer I don't think there's ever a point where you're just like yeah I'm I'm a perfect writer like I don't need editing I could put out a piece and send it to someone else and they could see things that could be improved so it's the ability to edit but then also to kind of let go Mm -hmm. um that you have to adjust to when you're doing your own thing and then even within that it's the additional challenge because I also have people who write for the platform so it's overseeing them and helping them when they're doing interviews in terms of questions and how to structure a piece when I'm editing it and and stuff like that so it's been Mm. it's been a really brilliant learning experience and even as I progress in my professional career 
um, in terms of if I did want to move into, I've been an editor before, but if I wanted to progress and be an editor again, I think having this experience alongside it, being an editor for my own publication is, you know, pretty great, to be honest. Yeah. And lastly, could you give us a little sneak peek into any like future projects for um, either individually as yourself or um, Black girls around the world? If you can, if you can. Oh, I actually can't. There's something that is coming up that I'm kind of working with someone on. We're kind of in the process of doing, um, but I actually can't even talk about it. But there there are a lot of interesting features which are coming up, um, a few more interviews. We've had the opportunity to do, you know, really early in, I think three months into the publication, we had the chance to interview Diane Abbott. We've interviewed not too long ago, Gisela Abams, who is... I might have to double check that pronunciation, but who is the chair of the British Science Association. And we have a few more interesting interviews with, you know, women in different sectors, um, which I'm looking forward to putting out. So there is one specific thing that I can't really speak on just, just as of yet, but there is lots coming up. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to keep up to date with everything that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Outside of that, just lots of work stuff anyway, just as a journalist. But yeah, lots going on, lots of good yeah. things. Always busy, always busy. Um, so as I kind of, um, mentioned before in our debrief, the premise of this interview is to kind of ask my guests an area of life that you feel that you've been miseducated on. And so with that, what is the area of life of life or the specific topic that you would like to talk about that you have, that you feel you've been miseducated on? I think the one that I wanted to speak about was based around being black in a predominantly white workspace and what it means to be in that space and the way in which you act and the fact that you don't have to change the way you act or have to make those amendments um, to be you in that space. It's a long-winded answer, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And could you... Because you said in our debrief that you initially started working after university um, for The Voice newspaper, which is a Black-owned media outlet. Yes. Um, So what was the transition like from working for, you know, a Black-owned media company where you don't really have to, like, filter yourself to Mm. now working in kind of like a predominantly white space in the corporate world? Like, what, what was that like? Well, the funny thing is, because, again, everything is still kind of shut down in terms of office culture, um, I haven't really had a full-on comparison um, with kind of the standard and the voice. But prior to that, I did uh, work for about three months as a freelance travel writer for the Daily Express. And at that point, the pandemic hadn't really hit full force. So I had some experience kind of jumping from the voice to that, you know, going from a small office, small team where you're not the minority or the majority to then going to a space where you are the minority in a massive, you know, company, massive building, Canary Wharf, you know, high rise, loads of, uh, loads of different floors, loads of different people. And it's a completely different experience. I think for me, prior to working at The Voice, I did have some experience. I worked at Harrods as a, a freelance writer as well, where again, you, I was kind of the minority, my editorial copywriting team. And I never felt like I massively 
changed or, or switched up in any way when I was in those spaces but you do have those small little things you know and, and you see it with family members as well like you know I'll, I will I always remember sometimes being hearing my mum on the phone and you know she'll answer the phone and it's oh hello you know very <laughs> very formal <laughs> and then it's like aunt on the phone and just the patois comes out and it's just different it's just uh that seamless switch which we we all kind of do so well. I think maybe my generation do it less so. I feel like we're a little bit more kind of we are who we are. Yeah. But I think at the same time, going from, you know, just kind of being the majority and enjoying that space to then going backwards almost to being in the minority, it was an adjustment in ways. I found myself almost keeping myself to myself because I didn't really want to do the whole, the whole, the whole office culture thing to an extent when it doesn't feel authentic and you feel like you're kind of putting something on. Mm. I didn't want to have to do that because I'd been in a space where I didn't have to do that. That was the major adjustment. It wasn't so much, you know, me switching up my voice or feeling I had to wear certain things. You know, I think one of the things about working at a predominantly black or, or just a generally diverse place is that you feel more confident and empowered in who you are you know working at The Voice I was able to work on stories and things which empowered me and just kind of empowered my my belief system and the things I stood for and it's a bit different I feel like if I didn't have that experience maybe it would be different but I wouldn't now walk into a place feeling the need to change anything or to kind of shrink aspects of myself because I've come from that I felt extremely empowered in that and I wouldn't want to go backwards. So for me, wherever I'm going, I'll have braids, I'll have my hair and I won't, I won't feel away. And, and that's a privilege in itself. There's a lot of black women who don't have that luxury. Um, and even to an extent, maybe working within the editorial space, which is somewhat creative, you maybe have a bit more leniency than if I worked in, you know, corporate finance or something, maybe I wouldn't feel as, as free as I do. Yeah. But I, you know, again, I felt very empowered working at The Voice to kind of just stick to who I am and and what I believe in. And for me, when I went into working in a space where I was a minority, if I felt like something didn't feel authentic to me, I didn't feel the need to play it up. Whereas I feel like maybe had I not had that experience with The Voice, maybe I would have, maybe I would have played into the, oh, you know, whatever, whatever. I just felt very much like, you know, if there's if we're having a conversation that's authentic and it's natural, cool. If it's, you know, something we're generally interested in, great. But I'm not going to kind of fake it to feel like I need to fit in. I think I think yeah. that's the key thing. It's the, this concept of needing to fit in. Mm. I feel like I don't feel like I need to fit in anymore, basically. I don't feel like I need to be in a predominantly white space and need to fit into certain work office cultures that maybe is a bit more synonymous with... Um, certain races than others and again sometimes it's not sometimes it's all the same Mm. um but I think it's just kind of growing out of that nature of needing to fit in and when you go into working into predominantly white spaces office culture sometimes you do feel that pressure to fit in and for me I was kind of stripped of that um in a a good way um after working at The Voice I think. Mm. So kind of what you're saying is that do you think that you accredit working because for some people it's not they don't have the same experience a lot of people go from um like being a minority they go into a predominantly white in like historically white space and they're like one of the few and then they go into another space and then they realize oh this wasn't just office culture it was also just kind of like racism and just kind of like the institutionalized ways of like thinking and being but like 
do you accredit I would it seems that you're accrediting working at The Voice to helping you establish that I don't need to change who I am like I'm gonna keep being me Definitely. It was a big, um, you know, it, it was a very pivotal time in that it was my first full-time journal- journalism role. Um, and I think that especially being there for three years, it definitely shapes you to an extent, especially, you know, kind of, as I was saying, you're working on stories based around your community and empowering your community. And, you know, those things play a role and they take an effect. And, you know, the reality is I, I write about a bunch of different things. I could be doing, you know, the sound of doing news stories and then freelancing and do a feature, like an arts and culture feature or doing something which is a bit more, um, you know, community-led. There's so much variety and I think that's what I like about my career is I'm not specific to one thing. I write about a bunch of different things, but spending the earlier years in my career at The Voice, you know, working amongst an environment where I don't have to worry about those concerns of being the minority, I think has a massive impact. Um, I think it would on on most because it's something that is kind of unprecedented. It's not really heard of uh, to be in a space where you are working in a predominantly black office in the UK. Like it's just it's just really rare, and that that type of environment definitely shapes you. And I think puts you or put me in a different space mentally in terms of like what I will. I mean, even you know to an extent, I think that, and then also freelancing put me in a very different mindset of, you know, something isn't serving me. If I feel like mm, I'm not really keen on the stories that I'm writing here, if I feel like it's not really working for me, I, I really feel no way about being, you know, like, see ya, I'm off. Yeah. And again, that's that's a, a place of privilege to an extent. I think that's partially because I, again, came from a space where I was writing about stories that mattered to me. Mm. And I feel like if I got to a space where I felt like that was being really, really compromised, I would go. Mm. But then also, again, because I spent a year freelancing, I freelanced during the pandemic. I mean, if there's ever a time maybe not to freelance during a pandemic, probably, you know, wouldn't have been the best time. But I managed to make it work. And it's kind of yeah. like if you've if you've been able to do those things, I do feel like, yeah, if, if I needed to kind of move on to something else, I would confidently do so. And I think that... I, I credit that to both of those things as well is that that feeling of independence mm. and uh, not being again so bogged down in kind of the culture of everything because I think sometimes maybe things have changed now but also people like to employers sometimes like to create this narrative of you know we're a family we're a team and all those things are true to an extent but we're we're also employees and sometimes that's a manipulative tactic to get mm. people to stay in things longer than they should, if they outgrow it, if they're underpaid. Like sometimes that can be used in a way which is could be detrimental to you. Mm. So I think I've also learned to kind of practice discernment with that and being able to understand when something serves me, maybe when I need to try something new, maybe when I need to try to kind of even push myself in the role that I'm at. Um, and I, I think a lot of my experience, I would put that down to being at The Voice and also freelancing as well. And um, yeah, it, I've had very unique experiences, again, working in a predominantly black office in the UK and also freelancing during the pandemic. It just gives you a whole different perspective because it's just not the traditional the traditional route at the yeah. end of the day. Um, and again, you know, there's this statistic that goes around. I, I'm probably going to get it wrong. But something like it's like 0.03% black journalists in the UK. It's something like that. And it's a ridiculous number. That's not exactly it, I don't think. But it's like a really small number. So it's also the fact of understanding that you are 
a minority and you don't want that to remain. So for me, it is important to kind of, while it would be easier to be like, oh, I don't necessarily want to work in certain spaces where I'm the minority. I do understand that for some people, that's a step to keeping the door open. Mm. So it's kind of like, if I am working in the space where maybe I am the one of few, maybe by me being here, we can make sure it's not one of few the next time around. Yeah. So it, it's it's a weird space to be in when you're a black journalist in the UK or when you're, I mean, black in most industries, it can yeah. be kind of a strange place. But I think for me, what I feel like I was misunderstood on was this kind of initial need to fit in, this fit in culture, this need to kind of bend and mould yourself to kind of fit in, to kind of, you know, not even necessarily appease certain people, but just to seem like you're the right fit. Um, And I feel that that's something that we are often taught, even down to like, I mean, I totally understand, you know, interview etiquette and and things of that nature. And I totally understand that office etiquette, uniforms, all that jazz. But even, even to an extent, those things are kind of problematic in a way, depending on the circumstance where it can be like, you know, the way you are, naturally you have to change yourself in order to get that position yeah you you have to switch up your you have to switch up your accent regardless of the fact of you speaking you know standard English perfect English you're not you know using slang words or anything but even just the intonation of the way your voice sounds you feel like you need to switch it up in order to sound you know like you fit in you know those things I don't people gloss over those things as just kind of etiquette, but there are some nuances and things there which could be examined. And I think for me, there was an element of unlearning with that, but I unlearned just through my experience being the opposite of what I would have been in most cases, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's actually that's really interesting. Um I was going to ask um, whether you've actually had like a specific experience where you found yourself like, I know you said that your mother would sometimes be on the phone and kind of like code switch, which is kind of, I don't know why the first thing I thought of was the movie, um, Sorry to Bother You, when like Lakeith Stanfield is like on the phone and has his white voice. Like it was always kind of like a thing of like, I think minorities just in general around the world just kind of like oh yeah you have your white voice you know yeah my mom has it too I think a lot of black people they know we have a white voice but like was there a specific experience whether in the workplace maybe even in school or education where you found yourself kind of like changing who you were naturally to kind of like fit into the mold of societal norms mm, I don't know if there was like an uh, I'm not sure if there was like a well there's there's one it was kind of one I was working in retail for a particular store um this was around like 2014 2015 maybe so at that point, there was this like trend of like gray hair and gray braids. It was like a whole thing back then. <laughs> and I remember doing my hair and I did gray braids and I went into work the next day and everyone was like, oh yeah, well, your hair's nice, your hair's nice. And then at the end of my shift, whoever it was that had an issue sent the black employee, black woman employee to me and was like, oh, like you have to take your braids out because it's not like a neutral color. And I was like... 
it's not a neutral I mean it's grey <laughs> She was mm. like yeah but it's not on part of like the uniform whatever And obviously me now Me four or five years ago would have been like no I'm not doing that But me then was young and I was like oh my god I'm going to lose my job if I don't change my hair So I literally had my hair braided and took it out that night And I, I actually took it out and went to work the next day and for me, that's the one thing where sometimes I'm like, well, I actually did that. But it's it that was part of uh, I guess my my learning. But that's probably the one time that sticks out to me. Because it's probably again, we experience microaggressions all the time. So there's probably things that I'd probably have to think about really hard. Mm. And I would be like, oh yeah, that that counts. But that's the main thing where it was like, you know. I was told that something wasn't uniform policy. I mean, technically, grey hair is neutral. Technically, you know, it's not. It was. It wasn't like bright green. Like, come yeah. on. Um, but that's the one time where I feel like, yeah, I, I basically, you know, conformed or whatever you want to call it. You know, I was told I couldn't have it because it wasn't neutral. Mm. And I, I, however long it took me to do that hair, I don't remember. But I, I took it out and went to work the next day. I really feel your pain. I feel yeah. like just hearing you say that just because <laughs> I know how long braids take. Time. It takes so long to do braids. So the fact that you had just had it done and then someone Fresh. take it out and you're like, yeah. Mm, yeah. I would have to bite my tongue. I would have to. And I think and the cheek of it was, I think I did kind of debate it and I ended up doing it. But the extra source on it was the fact that they sent that particular girl who was a manager, she was one of the few, it was two white guys who were managers and she was the other manager, um, was who was a black woman. And I, I, I mean, who knows, could have been coincidental, but let's be honest, I mm, think there's definitely yeah. something there, you know, in the fact that they sent her over to tell me that news. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was definitely a kind of memorable experience at that time. And yeah, yeah, so that's probably the one time I can think of. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Was there like a pressure? Like, was the pressure to conform? Do you, do do you, do you think to like external or internal influences? In general. In general, yeah. It could be just like for your from your own experience and from your own like journey of learning, or it could be just kind of like in general for other people and what you think you've seen and observed from there. I think it's mainly been external. I mean, I, I I feel like for me in my younger years, like probably a lot of other people, I was probably a lot more insecure and the external influences or opinions probably got to me or affected me more than obviously it would now. Um, but in terms of like the workplace, I would say, and bear in mind that when I left, when I went to university, so go backwards. When I went to university, I studied fashion journalism. And when I was 16, I was like, oh, I want to be a fashion journalist. I was really into writing, always have been. And I was really into fashion. So I just thought I'd combine the two. And then I remember having this feeling of like, oh, I'd really hate if I did it as a course and then just ended up hating fashion journalism altogether. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what happened. <laughs> and I I just kind of ended up disliking it. And a lot of the reasons behind that was because it was just kind of very stereotypical. I I think all the stereotypes and tropes that you would associate with fashion students or fashion journalists, I I felt that was the case. And I think from there, you do kind of find yourself 
I, I mean, I didn't try and fit into a particular thing there because for me, it just wasn't me. Like it wasn't even a point trying to pretend to fit into a certain mold. But I would say that that was my first major experience with seeing a particular group or seeing particular trope and mold and trying to maybe assess whether I fit into that or not Mm. and for me at that you know at that time I decided that it wasn't for me and and kind of the clicky atmosphere and elements of the beachiness like again it's not everyone but that was kind of my first instance of seeing I guess an external factor of something where I'm trying to, I'm considering whether I fit into it or not, and then making the decision whether I choose to or I don't. And I think that in itself was also kind of pitiful all because I decided ultimately that, no, this isn't a bit of me and didn't conform and try to fit in. And I feel like for the most part, I haven't. It's more so, I think, things which are a little bit, which are ingrained a little bit more in your childhood that are a little bit harder to shake. Mm. So again, things like, you know, being told that oh I have to take out my hair and I'm thinking oh my god I'm gonna lose my job you know that's that's a little bit harder to shake I'm you know at that age I was probably gonna do it or you know I remember doing an internship and and that's why I say that I feel like a lot of the time I actually haven't conformed as much like I remember doing an internship and during that time like I was becoming, I hate this term now because certain demographic has ruined it, but I was a bit, I was becoming a bit more woke. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember, I think the person that I was interning for, the company I was interning for at the time, I think we were having a discussion about something which I don't even remember what it was about. <laughs> I remember she said to me in front of like two other interns and she was like, you're getting a bit South London. Like you're getting, you're getting like rude, which obviously the, there was a, yeah a stereotype of of South London whatever anyway and again it's these instances of like in the moment I kind of understood aspects of what she was trying to imply but it's it's the covert languages you're not outwardly saying oh you're you're acting like those rude black girls you're you're trying to code it and coddling yeah. in these words so I'm not as you know clear to the ball really in terms yeah. of what you're trying to say and you know that was something which I I kind of was like like what the hell what the hell was that and for me that was kind of the beginning of a turning point of me deciding you know what I'm I'm not sticking around here for very long so for me a lot of the time I have chosen to not buy into the pressure but again I think when you're beginning to work in the workplace, it's more so the certain little intricacies, like being concerned about your hair or the way that you speak. Like even sometimes I'll find that, again, I don't have, I think, a specific way of speaking. When I'm with my friend, you might catch me doing a bit more slang than whatever. I, it's just what it is, is what it is. But I do catch myself sometimes when I maybe am calling, I don't know, a press office for a quote. And I'm saying, quote, Instead of quote, quote is yeah. probably what I'm usually going to use more, but yeah. I'm, I'm jazzing it up a little bit for the phone. So <laughs> it's things like that where some people will argue, oh, that's not really an issue, that's nothing. But to an extent, I, I feel as though because I am calling in a professional capacity, I have to say quote or, or I'm I'm doing that to appear a certain way. So even mm. to an extent, that is a little bit of, you know, me conforming trying to fit a certain mold Mm. and that's what I mean when I say that it's more the little things it's not really big instances it's kind of the little things that are hard to notice unless you're kind of really reflecting on it yeah 
it really is it's like the nuances the little details Mm. the things that like people probably think you're just nitpicking at but really it's like it's huge like it's a huge thing like once you unpack it you see centuries and histories of just kind of like the way in which it's been used to kind of like weigh down on you and kind of like make you smaller and make you kind of like fit into a certain like into a certain mold Um, and that's what's interesting to me because I feel like in a lot of different debates when I think black people speak to certain things there is this whole kind of from the opposition this uh, mindset of oh you're reading into it too much you are too sensitive and it's like things stem from somewhere like it they don't just poof pop out of thin air like things stem from something and either you have the ability to kind of delve a bit deeper to kind of unpack that or you don't because you don't want to, or you just don't have the range. Like it's one or the two. It's, mm. it's, it's you either don't have the range or the space or the capacity to kind of delve deep into it, or you choose to gloss over it. But things come from somewhere. They don't just come out of nowhere. So for me, it's, I, I'm an analytical person. I'm a journalist. So a lot of the time, if there is something I'm thinking, oh, where does that stem from? And if I know that I'm doing a certain thing, I might ask myself, oh, I wonder why I'm doing that. And I'll, I'll unpack it. Um, I understand not everyone does that and some people will see it as you reading into it too much but I think if you decide to kind of go on that journey of unpacking it you will realize that a lot of the time there is reasons and you know a rhythm and a process as to why you get to where you get to Mm, definitely so it seemed like what I've heard so far it like you were very self-aware and you're very like in tune with yourself and you ask yourself these questions um but what kind of fuels you to continue being unapologetically black in these predominantly white spaces, especially on those days where, you know, people are trying you, people are saying, oh, you're this and kind of using coded language or, you know, kind of like in the instance when um, they told you to take out your braids, like what fuels you to continue being as unapologetic as you are? I think... I mean, I'm definitely unapologetic, but in the same sense, it's it's just me being me. It, it's a weird one because it's one of those things of like being unapologetically black is a start, but then it's also just who you are. It's just me being me. And some people might, you know, argue that I'm not super unapologetically black. I don't, I don't even know. Like, it's just for me, I'm I have a strong start. So I, I have strong opinions. If, you know, if I'm in an office and someone wants to talk to me about something, I'll give you my honest opinion. Like, I'm, I'm a very straight shooter to the point where I have to sometimes, like, process it in a way that's maybe sounds a bit more appealing because <laughs> I can be, if I feel like an opinion is, like, crazy, I'll probably, you know, not say it's crazy, but I'll be very to the point in how I feel. So for me, it's just about kind of being honest to myself and, and my truth. I think mm. I just, I'm very for the progression the betterment of of people black people black women especially Mm. um it's not a slight to to others it's just you know we we need we need uh we need advocates we need voices to speak on the topics and the issues that we we have and for me my skill my talent whatever you want to call it is in writing so I like to do that I like to use my my skill my talent my career to kind of speak to issues um which are relevant to my community whether it's kind of 
freelancing, whether it's having worked to the voice, whether it's starting black girls around the world. I like to have a, a I just like to kind of continue to progress and to assist. It's 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 more of a an assistant in just kind of opening up and having the conversations, helping to facilitate the conversations and Again, just having a safe, being a part of a safe space for black women and also, you know, partaking in those platforms where our voices aren't as loud. There's no limitations. We need publications which are created by black people for black women, black people. Mm. And we, we need those diverse publications which speak to people of colour. We, we need those things. And we also need those major publications which are backed by... You know, I think, you know, the Even Standard is owned by, you know, some billionaire and, you know, we need black people, people of colour in those spaces too, because they yeah. also have the reach. Mm. So there's no limitations. There's no either or. There's no, we only have to start our own publications or we work for those publications. There's enough of us that we can, we can spread ourselves, you know, yeah. wide. So yeah. sometimes things are just missed when you're not a part of a certain culture. And that's why it's important to have us in those spaces. Mm. Two things that I picked up from there was that this idea of like, again, we don't always have to be the ones to like make our own, like build the table for ourselves. Like sometimes it is necessary for some of us to join and be in those spaces. But as you've kind of clearly said, and as you've exemplified in your own experience, also having a discernment of knowing when to leave and when your time there is done. Because at the end of the day, you have to have boundaries. You have to protect your peace. Not every day dealing with, you know, can I touch your hair? Like, you know, all those different stuff. Um, but also like you, what I've taken and what you've kind of like really highlighted is this idea of kind of like being the voice that challenges instead of, because I think a lot of the time when you're a minority in a predominantly like, white space there's this idea that you're the opposition and that you're the one that's making everything difficult and that has been definitely a label that has been put on specifically black women is this idea of oh she's so difficult oh don't tell her about that because you know she's gonna say this or here she goes and people kind of turn off but I kind of like to look at it in the sense of and as you've kind of like really perfectly articulated is this idea of like you're not being the opposition you're challenging them to be better to do better um to think differently to see that you know you may see like this you may see it as this thing but I see it as this other thing and I'm challenging you to be better I'm challenging you to widen out your reach because right now you're seeing very narrowly and I think if people specifically if I'm being real if white people could just see it as Instead of, you know, black people are black people being difficult. This person's being difficult. Like, no, this person is challenging you to expand your reach and to expand your ideology and your view of the world rather than thinking, you know, up is up, down is down, the sky is blue, the grass is green, and this is the right way and this is the wrong way. If you start seeing it from the fact that there are multiple truths in the world, maybe you'll start to like see that, you know, I don't know, you'll broaden your horizons. You'll see that there are multiple colors or whatever it is, um, whatever analogy people want to choose. I think also the second thing that you highlighted with your own experience is that, 
especially for black women, just being yourself is already seen as like this revolutionary thing. I think to younger black women, and I will say for me, listening to you as somebody who's just finished university and is trying to like get my kind of self out into like the same kind of sphere that you're in, it's for me, I'm like, this is revolutionary to see somebody who's worked in, you know, a predominantly black space, who's working in white spaces, who has a voice, who isn't afraid to do all this different stuff, but is also kind of real about the situation that is at hand that yes, they are going to say this. Yes, it is going to be like this, but you've got to stay true to yourself. And I think that because of how the world and because of just how like society and British society has kind of said, these are the things that you have to do and being so rigid on different things it is sometimes it's so hard like sometimes people have just never been themselves that Mm. seeing other people be themselves and be themselves unapologetically is even though it seems very hyperbolic and it seems really extreme is an act of not just defiance but it's revolutionary it's changing the narrative it's changing the course of history for some people and even though it seems like the easiest and most simplest answer for some people, it's like a major step to take. So I think that you just saying that have, it's just really been highlighted of this. You'll just be like, you were just like, I'm just being me. I'm just being me. <laughs> just but like for somebody like somebody who's probably listening to this and maybe they're the same as me, they're listening to it and they're like, oh my God, this is revolutionary. I didn't know that I could do this. I didn't know that there were, you know, you know, newspapers like The Voice and like Black Ballad and Girl Dem and stuff like that, but also knowing that, oh, but there are also, we are also represented in, you know, majority um, white spaces as well. And it's revolutionary, but it's also really simple. It feels like a, it feels like a juxtaposition because it's like, it's a really simple answer. You just got to be true to yourself. But then it's also like, no, that's a really deep answer because you're like, oh, yeah. Definitely, because who 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 are you? That's that's the other thing. It's like when I say being true to yourself, it's not even necessarily that you have to know yourself through and through completely. It's just being true to yourself in the moment, in, in where you feel at that time. You know, I, I feel like as I've gotten older, got older, I've uh, become more more confident, more self assured in who I am, and. And I think that, you know, two years ago, I think I was being true to myself, but I feel like I'm being true to myself just because I'm understanding myself more so now, but it doesn't negate what I was doing then. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, some people will be like, oh, I don't, I don't really know 100% who I am. And that's, that's okay. It's, you don't need to future proof and, you know, feel as though you have to know every aspect of who you are and who you want to be. And, and that's it. It's just who you are in the moment as you're growing and as you're evolving. And as you're growing and as you're evolving, you may learn some new things along the way. And it's like, oh, okay, let me add that to my backpack and, you know, keep on going. So yeah. it's just, it's just being true to who you are in that present time. And there's certain things which will stick with you throughout. Mm. Um, and there's some things that may shed that may go things that may be matter to you that you're like "Mm, I don't think that's really key to me at the moment and there's things that you'll pick up with you so it's 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 a process it's a process like most things but I do think that it's it it probably is maybe easier I don't know if I'd say it's easier to be a black journalist in the UK now because the reality is when you look at the statistics especially for you know, magazines, newspapers, and looking at editors and journalists, it's still 
you know, scarce. So there's there's a lot more black freelance journalists than there are journalists working in-house as staff writers, as editors. You know, mm. you, you will still, I think the thing that a lot of publications are smart on is like I said, they'll hire a bunch of black freelance journalists to appear as though they're being diverse, but then you walk into the newsroom and it's still majority, you know, majority still white. So it, it has this appearance of being diverse, but then when you actually step into the space, it's still, you know, it's still not as much as it perceives itself to be. So it, it's about also holding them to account, mm. you know, because a lot of them will try and pull the wall of your eyes and, you know, do stories and articles on certain people who are your faves. And it's like, oh my God, they're really diverse. But then when you look at it, it it's still scarce. And I think for me, I've always been very big on diversity, you know, through and through. Mm. I think a lot of people think about diversity on the surface and it's like oh you know there's a lot more black actors in this film there's a lot more black models in this ad campaign but it's like behind that ad campaign who's the photographer who's the assistant who's the stylist Mm. are they all white are they mixed are they you know is it a diverse you know staff because if diversity isn't top down it's just kind of tokenism to me personally it's on the surface to appease a certain group of people. But when you get behind the lens, if they're still the same, then it's not really diversity. So for me, technically also being someone who's behind the scenes to an extent, I'm very much about looking behind what we see Mm. and kind of speaking to, to those things. I think there was a year, I think not last year, the year before, I think it was the British Journalism Awards. And there was kind of a bit of an, an uproar. It was some type of journalism awards. There was a bit of an uproar because there were no, you know, black or brown journalists nominated. And mm. it's things like that where you need those people to um, hold them to account. Because the thing in the matter is, it has a trickle-down effect. You know, if, if all the nominees are all of a certain certain race or they're all kind of similar or the same or whatever, that feeds down to you know, employees like awards, you know, they mm. like, they like accolades. So they may be going to be more inclined to hire certain types of writers. And then that makes it harder for certain. So it's, it, it really trickles down. And I think that's the thing that people forget. They'll see people advocate for something on social media and they're like, oh, you're just being picky, but it affects, it has an effect. If, if only a certain group of people are getting, you know, their accolades or are getting appreciated, it then affects the, the chances of other demographics even getting to a foot of where they are. Like it mm. all, it all really connects. So for me, it, it's about, you know, really kind of, again, being true to myself, but also being true to what I believe in and assisting where I can, you know, I'm not, you know, some like massive campaigner or whatever, but I, I like to use my writing, my platform that I've created to just kind of speak and uplift where I can ultimately yeah. and go from there. Yeah. No, yeah, it's it's definitely seeing and being and then holding account to other companies, but also just asking ourselves, asking other institutions, asking different companies to be consistent and to be committed and to not just be about, you know, as you said, like just showing and kind of like tokenism and kind of anchoring stereotypes or whatever, but also like what is behind the lens, what is behind the camera, who are like, there's a lot of, I guess there's a lot of like, I think there's also like a statistics about um, how there's like a lot of people of color are in entry level jobs, but like they're not near the top, that they're not anywhere near the top. So it's definitely really important that you've pointed that out of just, you know, being consistent, being committed to the cause. 
but yeah. Um, so I feel like you've, with everything you've said, I feel like you've already answered this question, but if you were to kind of like pinpoint to somebody else, how you are re-educating yourself in, you know, making sure that you are, you know, consistent and committed to who you are, like, how would you say that you have re-educated yourself in this kind of field? I think um, it's kind of a, a vague answer, but I think it's just been through experience. It's it's through my kind of experience of being a journalist in this space. It's through my experience of kind of seeing other uh, others, my peers, um, and I think I think experience can sometimes be the best teacher. You know, when I was studying journalism at you know university, these weren't you know, the kind of things or topics that were being discussed is just things that you you learn over time. I mean, even even down to kind of, how can I phrase it? Just kind of the realisation that, the realisation that, you know, certain things were maybe harder for me in my career than maybe it was for the next person because of my race. And, mm. and you kind of knowing that, but then being put face to face with it and being able to understand that and feel so like you know okay this is this is the reality this is what the industry is what can I do to continue to push myself forward so it's constantly kind of checking yourself mm-hmm. checking in with yourself and kind of like not being deterred you know I'm not gonna act like I've had you know really really rough hard career but I mean I will say that for me personally from uni to getting my first job at The Voice I think like probably some people during that time, like, you know, 2014 to 2016, there wasn't as much jobs going. But, you know, I, I you know, worked in retail part-time, I freelanced part-time just to kind of make sure that I was still doing some form of journalism. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure if this is really off the record or not, but like, I, I remember working um, at a particular publication and meeting someone else who had the same job as me um and I remember she left the job and I had left the job and we met up afterwards just to kind of catch up and uh she had no journalism experience it, it was a it was a journalism role it was a you know a, a travel a journalism role but she had no journalism experience prior mm. um it was just kind of like friend of a friend she just spoke to someone and kind of got the job and I remember sitting there and kind of thinking Okay, so we're on the same job, same salary. You have no journalism experience, and here I am, <laughs> having you know done this and done that, and and it's moments like that when you realise that yeah, you know the reality is is that chances are certain things are going to be it's going to be a bit of a rougher road in certain areas. Things might not come as quickly or as easily, or you may have to build those connections a bit more before you're at a stage where you can call this person or that person, or whatever the case may be, whatever the obstacle is. Mm. But it's just kind of realising that that don't let that deter you try not to let that deter you or get to you or stop you from doing what you're doing because you're you're on your particular path so for me I'm re-educating myself just through my experiences and going through it and I'm not necessarily you know there's not a, a textbook there's not a guide maybe there should be maybe there's something we should do as black journalists maybe there should be some type of guide some type of assistance but there is no guide other than life as cheesy as it sounds and going through the motions so I, I'm re-educating myself constantly just through experiencing and learning and growing and evolving and hoping that that continues really mm. oh wow um thank you Leah for just answering those questions thank you for being 
open. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for, for just being like real and just sharing your experience with us. Um, just before we finish, I have, um, I always get really excited when I'm about to do this round. I don't know why. I, just, <laughs> I find people's answers so interesting, which is why I love asking people these questions. But the last round, which is quick, miseducated questions. So I have four questions and it's kind of like the first thing that comes to your head when I ask you this question. So the first question is, if this podcast episode was a song, what would it be? Oh my God, I didn't expect that. <laughs> if this podcast episode was a song, oh my God. School in Life by Beyonce. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> Second question, something people don't talk about, but should. Oh, something people don't talk about, but should. Gosh. Hmm. I saw <laughs> this is kind of like whatever, but I saw a tweet or it was like a TikTok or something. And it was this girl and she was Caribbean and she was like, Do some of you sometimes get sad about the fact that you'll never know your real surname? And I was like, Yeah, we don't really talk about that enough. Like we we us Caribbeans, like some of the others obviously across the diaspora, like we'll just never know. And it's sad. And I think we should talk about it more. Like that, that collective experience of just being robbed of something. And I think we just kind of mosey along and we don't really acknowledge or talk about it. And it, it is kind of crap that you're doing, you know, you're doing gas, guesswork or, you know, Ancestry.com trying to, you know, piece pieces that you, you'll never really know. It's kind of crappy. Yeah. So, yeah. Very true. Um, third question, an unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Hmm. I would prefer that there wasn't a black girl on the new series of Love Island because the collective I just I'm really looking forward to watching it but I already have my preconceived ideas of what's going to take place and I can't really be bothered to experience that Again. I'd rather just watch back and just kind of enjoy it and not have to do, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would I would have been called out. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes I'm just kind of like, you don't always have to put us in everything. You don't I have to put us in everything. <laughs> unless, like, please have it. I don't know. Ugh, just, you don't have to put us in everything if the experience is going to be the same over yeah. and over again, year after year. And then people, you know, come out and say, this was my actual experience. And you're like, here we go again. We knew, we saw it. Anyway. Yeah. And the reality is it that doesn't have to be the experience because the reality, you know, speaking plainly, there are plenty of men of various races who are attracted to black women. Why mm. they, they never decide to put those ones in there, I don't know. But it's, it doesn't, it doesn't have to go that route. Mm. but it does consistently and it's just not enjoyable to watch the show as a whole was enjoyable I was kind of looking forward to the possibility of not having to deal with that section of it and who knows maybe we will be surprised maybe maybe but that's something that that's maybe my unpopular opinion I I probably could have done without it but I'm I'm rooting for sis you know Mm. I'm rooting for her always always (laughs) rooting for her Um, (laughs) and last question a piece of fake news that you wish was real and of course a piece of fake news that which was real 
um, this impending Rihanna album because I don't think it's ever coming. I think that's complete fake news. I think she's a liar. <laughs> and when this album's never going to see the light of day, she's been pushing this narrative. People have been pushing this narrative for years. Anti came out when, like 2016? Mm. Where I'm not even going to ask the where because one. I'm past the point. I'm not even going to ask where, but I think that's fake news. And I wish it was true. <laughs> So, <laughs> Rihanna, please come out with the, uh, with another. Thank Prove you. me wrong. Prove me <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but yeah, thank you again. Thank you so much, Leah, for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your truths and your experience with us. And yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I guess I don't really have like a final thought for you guys. I don't really have like some kind of eloquent summary that I usually do have after the end of these interviews but more like the most standout thing for me was more the feeling that I got like while interviewing Leah which was like a sense of empowerment and kind of like feeling inspired um but yeah like that honestly that's all I can really say is just feeling like I felt really empowered and I felt really inspired to continue striving to be me and figure out who me is, especially as an individual, as a black woman in this world, as a black woman in the workplace. Like, it just continued to inspire me to continue to, you know, strive towards my truth, if that makes sense. But what did you guys get from it? Let me know by following Miss Educate on social media. The handles for our Instagram and Twitter will be in the description of this episode. Also, don't forget to check out the blog post at miseducateblog.com and add your email to this subscription list so that you don't miss out on new posts. And check out the description for resources referenced in this episode and continue to watch, read, listen, educate, and then re-educate yourselves. Thank you for listening and thank you, Leah, for being a part of this episode. And make sure to rate, review, and share this podcast with a friend. And tune in next time for another discussion on the Miseducate podcast. Bye. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.